message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, I want to welcome you once again to Trinity Grace. We are so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Psalm chapter 25. Psalm 25, the passage is also printed for you in your worship folder. And kids, our young disciples, I'd like to invite you to be listening for the following three things this morning. First, be listening for what kind of psalm Psalm 25 is. Second, be listening for a story about a tour guide. A tour guide. And third, be listening for at least three things that we learn about God from Psalm 25. Maybe make a list of three things that we learn about God from this psalm. Well, this morning we're picking back up in our summer series looking at the Old Testament book of Psalms. And over the summer months, we've been looking at various psalms in hopes of finding encouragement and comfort and hope from these beautiful poems found right in the center of your Bible. And this morning, we're looking at another psalm that was written by David, the great king of Israel. And this psalm is unique in many ways. And one of the things that makes it unique is because if you could look at this psalm in the original language and you knew Hebrew, you would see that this psalm is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Many of you know what an acrostic is. You can use your name as an acrostic, where you write the letters of your name maybe down the left side of the page, and then you use each of the letters to describe something about you. For instance, take my name, Michael, where each of the letters describes something about me. M might be muscular. I might be intelligent. C might be charismatic. H certainly would not be humble. But you get the idea, right? Well, there are nine psalms that are formatted as acrostics of the Hebrew alphabet. And it was a method used to provide structure to a psalm so that it might promote memorization among God's people. And the psalm that we're about to read, it's a longer psalm. And we don't know the exact circumstances that inspired this psalm. And because it's written as an acrostic, it can be harder to identify a clear flow of thought through this psalm. But there are some major themes that we're going to see in this psalm nonetheless. Themes that encourage us, that comfort us, that bring us hope. Psalm 25 would be classified a lament. But it's not a sob of great sorrow. It's a picture of what a calm and quiet spiritual maturity looks like in a believer. And isn't that what we all want? Calm and quiet spiritual maturity. A soul that relies on God for protection and forgiveness and guidance. If that's what you want this morning, this is a psalm that can shape you more into that kind of believer. And so you follow along as I read Psalm 25, beginning in verse 1. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Well, I'm sure that there are some activities that you've engaged that are much better with a professional, knowledgeable guide. For instance, I know some of you really enjoy going down to the coast to fish. And if you're having a hard time catching fish or finding fish, a guide who knows the waters can add a ton of excitement to your experience. If you've ever visited a historical country or city, you know that it's beneficial to have a knowledgeable tour guide who can point out the sites and share the historical significance of what you're seeing. There have been a few times in my life where I've gotten the chance to play a golf course that requires you to take a caddy out on your round. And that caddy acts as a guide around the course, helping you to know where to hit the ball, what penalties to avoid, helping you read putts along the way. It was a blast. I utilize a guide almost every day in the form of this little device. I bet you do too. I get in my car, I plug in an address, and Apple Maps guides me turn for turn until I reach my destination. Guidance is something that we've all needed at one point in life and all benefited from at various points as well. And one of the main themes of this psalm is the need that David has for guidance. Guidance. And what you see in this psalm is that David needs guidance because he's experiencing both external and internal struggles. Think of David's external struggles for a minute, if you know anything of David in his life which he alludes to actually in verse 2 and verse 20 of our psalm. In these verses, he mentions enemies. He mentions the need for protection. Look, enemies were a constant part of David's life. His enemies always seemed to be close by. And these enemies, they wanted to bring David down. They wanted to harm him and his family. And at many times in his life, it would have been hard for David to know who to trust. He had enemies surrounding him. And not only was David struggling against external enemies in life, he also had internal struggles. I mean, he was a man deeply aware of his sin. Remember what David's past included? I mean, adultery, murder. Towards the end of his life, he was a horrible father, failing to lead his family in the way they should be led. Failure as a leader of God's people. You can imagine the guilt and the sense of regret that David must have experienced through his life when he thought of his past moral failures and they came to mind. 
And in the midst of these external and internal struggles, David needs guidance. And this is peculiar when you remember that David is the most well-resourced man in the entire country. I mean, think about David for a minute. Not just his struggles, but think about how many resources he had. He had a vibrant relationship with God. He had military prowess. He had women. He had looks. He had reputation. He had creativity. He had material wealth and unchecked power at his fingertips. And the most resourced man in all Israel still writes this in verses 4 and 5. Look at it. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. The most well-resourced man in all of Israel knows that he needs guidance from the one who is far greater than him. And like David, we are a group of people who are pretty well-resourced. We've got material possessions and connections. You exert power and influence in your life. We've got a fair bit of intelligence gathered in this room. And like David, we're a group of people who need guidance. We need to be led and taught by one who is far greater than us. And like David, we don't want to be put to shame. We don't want to place our trust in something that will eventually let us down and betray us. Like David, we face a number of external and internal struggles in the course of our everyday lives. Think of the external struggles you face in your life. Now, you might think, I can't really relate to David. I don't have any enemies like David had. But according to the scriptures, we certainly do have enemies. Enemies at work that would like to bring us down, would like to bring us harm. You think of the spiritual forces of darkness that we don't talk often enough about, that are at work behind the scenes even as we speak, seeking to sabotage the work of God and His people. You think of an increasingly secular culture that's working against biblical values and virtue in our world. You think of your own indwelling sin, which can sometimes be your worst enemy that leads you away from the Lord and into activities that would bring harm to your soul and hurt those that you love the most. And on top of our external struggles, think of the internal struggles you feel or face. And when you think back on your life, surely there is no lack of regret when you think of rash and harsh words spoken to your spouse, when you think of your impatience and anger with your children, when you think of where your lustful eye might have led you in a time of weakness, when you think of the way you took advantage of certain people in certain situations, when you think of your besetting sins and how we so easily give in to the temptation of control and beauty and comfort and approval. I mean, the older you get, the more regret you carry. And our resources aren't powerful enough to relieve us from these struggles. Our resources don't mean that we can go without guidance. Now, like David, the more resources you have in life, the more guidance you normally need. And so in the face of distressing struggles, where does David turn? Where should we turn? Let's dive a bit deeper into Psalm 25 to see where we can find help in the midst of external and internal struggles that we face in life. What do we see David do in this psalm in the face of trouble? Does he get busy? Does he take control? 
Does he manipulate other people so that he might achieve the ends that he wants to achieve? Does he numb out and try to forget his troubles? No, he goes to the Lord. He talks to God. Can't put it in a more simple way. He waits on the Lord. What we see from David is that he looks to the Lord for guidance in the midst of his struggles. What David models for us is completely different than what we normally hear in our current culture, isn't it? I mean, it's the predominant call in our current culture to follow your heart, to choose your own way, to be true to yourself, especially in the midst of troubles and distress. But David comes to us with what we might call ancient wisdom, and we believe it's not outdated because God hasn't changed, and in many ways, neither have the struggles that we share with David. And he points us to follow God's ways, to walk God's paths, to be open to the Lord's instruction. What David also models for us is how to properly relate to our resources and our connections and our power in the midst of troubles. What we see in the psalm is that David refuses to rely on his resources or to manipulate or to seek control. And he certainly could have done all those things given who he was in his context. He could have manipulated better than anyone else. But instead, what we see David model for us is trust in God. Knowing that as we wait upon Him, as we rely on Him and not our resources, as we seek to rest in His love and control, that things will ultimately work out for our good. You see David's heart disposition all throughout this psalm. In the midst of trouble and difficulty, he doesn't choose his own way. He doesn't deploy his resources for his own benefit. No, instead we see something so counterintuitive. He waits on the Lord. I mean, look at what David says in verse 3 and verse 5. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And then for you, I will wait all the day long. In the midst of our external and internal troubles, we have a decision to make. And Garfield read about it too from Isaiah earlier. Israel was called to wait on the Lord. And the decision we have to make is, are we going to take action or wait? Are we going to move forward or wait? Are we going to take things into our own hands or wait? I mean, how often have we moved forward to regret it later? Jumped the gun, spoke too soon, engaged when it wasn't appreciated or in ways that weren't faithful. This psalm is inviting us to wait on the Lord like David, like Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus for a minute. Think about what would have happened if Christ hadn't waited on the Lord, hadn't waited on His Father, if He had taken matters into His own hands. If Jesus hadn't entrusted Himself to His Father's care, even in the midst of suffering and pain and death on a cross, and you know He could have taken action, but He didn't. He entrusted Himself to God, He waited on his father. And by so doing, salvation was made possible. Waiting on someone, it's a highly relational activity, isn't it? I mean, did you notice that in this psalm, as David looks for guidance, his eyes are always on the Lord. The guidance we see in Psalm 25, it's deeply relational. It's not that David wants some pointers so that he can deal with his problems. What he really wants is God. He wants an ongoing, vibrant relationship with the guide. 
not the map. He wants that so much that he's willing to wait for God. I like how Tim Keller puts it when commenting on this passage in terms of looking for a personal map versus looking for a personal guide. And he says this, it's printed for you in the front of your bulletin. You don't need the whole map. You won't even understand the whole map. You'll probably be upset with the whole map. You'll probably be overwhelmed with the whole map. What you need is a relationship with a guide who is so constant that at every point you get the next piece and the next piece. You need a guide. The Bible doesn't talk so much about how to get guidance as much as it talks about the kind of person who's guided. But like David, we need a relationship with the guide in the midst of all the troubles that we face. In following close to the guide as opposed to following an impersonal map actually requires trust. It requires faith. It requires relationship. And it's the character and work of the Lord that invites us to this faithful posture toward God. Did you notice how David views his guide in Psalm 25? Look at some of the ways David describes God. In verse 3, we learn that God is faithful. None who wait on you will be put to shame. Verse 4 and 5, we see that God is truthful. In verse 5, we see that God is one who rescues as a Savior. In verse 6, we see that God's mercy and love has been from of old. In verse 8, we learn that God is good and upright. In verse 10, once again, God is described as loving and faithful in all His ways. In verse 11, God is described as forgiving In verse 14, God is described as a friend who is open with those that he loves and freely confides in them. In verse 16, God is described as gracious. I mean, throughout the psalm, God is pictured as one who is powerful to rescue his people. And David knows that he can take refuge in this guide. The way David describes God in this psalm, it reminds me of when God passed before Moses back in Exodus chapter 34, and God actually self-discloses who he is to Moses in that passage. You can read about how God describes himself in Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 6, where we read, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Look, none of our resources can say something like that to us. Good advice is not personal like that. The character of the Lord, it gives David the ability to wait with patience even in the midst of trouble, knowing that anyone who finds refuge in God will not be put to shame. But this posture, this way of trust in the midst of troubles that David demonstrates for us, it requires humility. I mean, keeping in mind that David is the most resourced man in all of Israel, isn't it amazing how much David asks of God in the psalm? I mean, David doesn't rely on his ingenuity, his wealth, his power, his wisdom, his connections. No, as you read the psalm, it's as if David has no resources at all. David asked to be taught. He asked to be led. He asked to be protected. He asked to be provided for in this psalm. And to ask for these things requires that you know your need. 
and to believe that the one you're asking knows more than you and has the power to help. It takes humility to ask for guidance. Just ask any guy who gets lost on the road and doesn't want to stop at the gas station to ask what the next turn should be. To ask for forgiveness and protection and direction, you have to humiliate yourself. And we see the most powerful man in all of Israel do just that in this psalm. He's humiliating himself. And do you think, let me ask you this, do you think that this humility added to David's anxiety or relieved it? Do you think that this posture of humiliation made David more tense or more peaceful? Do you think that after praying this psalm, David was more worried or more settled? Humility is refreshing. Humiliation is relaxing. It leads to peace. In the midst of our troubles, David shows us how to ask for help. He helps us know how to say, God, show me the way because I don't know the way. And don't just show me the way, but walk alongside me and guide me on your paths. This posture of trust in the midst of trouble not only requires humility, it also requires patience. Like we've mentioned before, we get to read these psalms in one sitting. And it's very easy to think that David was delivered from his troubles in the time that David took to write the psalm. But that's not the case. I mean, these psalms are what we call telescoped, meaning that they're like a telescope, they're compacted. These 22 verses might have been the result of years of struggle and cultivating deeper dependence on God in the midst of distressful circumstances. We just get the end product. You can read it in maybe two minutes, but it might have been years, decades in David's life. And it gives us words to speak as we walk through our current troubles and difficulties. And this means we need patience. God might be taking you through a season of trouble right now. I'm sure that he is in some way, in some fashion, internal or external. You might be feeling the pressure very acutely this morning. And this psalm is giving you words to speak to God from someone who understands, someone who's been there. As we wait, even if things don't get better as quick as we'd like, which is oftentimes the case, We can use these words to speak to God, to quiet our souls, to find peace. Well, David writes this psalm as he experiences troubling circumstances externally and recurring feelings of guilt and shame and regret internally. And the idea of shame provides the bookends for this psalm. I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 2, David says, let me not be put to shame. And again, in verse 20, David writes, let me not be put to shame. And shame in this context, in the context of this psalm, in that world, it means that David doesn't want to have trusted in something that proves to be untrustworthy. He doesn't want to have relied on a false foundation. He doesn't want the object of his hope to fail. He doesn't want to be publicly exposed as a fool for who he trusts. That's what shame meant in that day and age. And David, through the psalm, reminds us this morning that God will never let us down or betray us. He will never put to shame if we place our trust in Him. How do we know? Well, look at what He gave. Why should we trust? Why should we hope? Why can we lean all of our soul's weight 
upon the Lord. We do it because the one who has all the resources in the world at his disposal gave himself in order to rescue us. The one who had all the resources in the world to deploy in order to bring salvation had to come himself relationally in order to rescue us. We know something of God's work that David didn't. We've witnessed how God himself was willing to step into the midst of our troubles and our distresses himself. How he came to guide us, showing us that the way is not an idea or a suggestion or good advice, but that the way is a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. What we need more in the midst of our difficulties and troubles is not more advice or more resources. What we need is more of Jesus, our faithful guide and friend. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus shows us that God can be trusted. That we can take refuge in Him. And that we can wait on Him. And if we do that, we will never be put to shame. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your word and for the way that it brings comfort and encouragement and hope to our hearts and souls. We thank you that you are our great, faithful, gracious God, that you guide us through the circumstances that we experience here in this world. And we pray that you would continue to give us humility and patience as we wait upon you, as we speak to you, as we stay close by you as we traffic through this fallen world. We pray that uh, you would comfort our hearts uh, with that hope this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen.